Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. And tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Those words spoken by Mel Gibson's character William Wallace in the film Braveheart is one of the most iconic movie lines in movie lore. The film is Hollywood's version of the life of William Wallace, a 13th century commoner who led the fight for Scotland's independence from England. Freedom is certainly something to be valued. No one should know that better than the people of God. Our freedom was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. He laid down His life to set us free from sin. But what exactly does that freedom mean for our lives today? Your doctor, I can assure you, has do's and don'ts for you. Your employer, your boss has do's and don'ts for you. The police have do's and don'ts for us, don't they? Can I just say this as followers of Jesus Christ? We need to stop apologizing for the Bible having do's and don'ts in it as if that were some kind of strange thing. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. If you're new to Crosswalk, we're in the middle of our series entitled Crossroads, where our faith intersects our culture. It's a study through the New Testament books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Today, we're starting into 1st Corinthians chapter 10, where, as you'll hear in a moment, the Apostle Paul was trying to help the believers in Corinth to understand what freedom means from God's perspective. This is a reflection, a projection of the grace and love and compassion and mercy that God has for people that he would call us out and instruct us on what is profitable for us and what is not profitable for us, what is sinful and what is not sinful. Pastor Clay is going to walk us through verses 1 through 15 today, where we find the Apostle Paul is giving us a bit of a history lesson. And the lessons we learn must then be applied to our lives if we're going to experience freedom the way God intends. Now here's Pastor Clay. How many of you know who George Santayana was? Don't feel bad. I, I didn't know who he was either. <laughs> I didn't know who George Santayana was uh, either. But George Santayana was a uh, philosopher, a Spanish-born philosopher, who uh, lived in the second half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century. He was a uh, writer and a, a teacher. He taught, among other places, at Harvard University, taught philosophy. And Santayana is, is credited with a statement that even though you and I had never heard of George Santayana, you have probably heard this statement before or some form or fashion of it. George Santayana said this, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You may have heard some form of that other notable politicians and and others have used some uh, form of it, those who don't learn from the past, those who who don't learn from the mistakes of the past, some form uh, of that statement that Santiana made. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. In other words, what Santiana was saying and what most of us know to be true is that the past uh, history is not just a, 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 a presentation of events of the past, history is actually a prediction of the future if the lessons from the past are not learned and applied. 
that we have to learn from events that have happened in the past, good and bad, but obviously the prime focus here is on events that are bad in history, uh, that are wrong, that have been hurtful, that have been whatever, to learn from those lessons so that they are not repeated in the future. Uh, I want to read y'all just a little excerpt, excerpt from my non-New York Times best-selling book, um, I Get It, available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Zulon Press. Um, anyway, I want to read you a little excerpt from a little story at the start of a chapter. <clears throat> chapter from chapter 2, Why Don't I Have It? Uh, the book's entitled I Get It, by the way, if you've not heard of it. Uh, you and 299 million other Americans haven't either, so it's okay. I grew up on a farm. It was fun being the son of a dairy farmer. Uh, my dad made sure his sons did their share of work, washing out the barn, baling hay, sweeping the feed room, and other things that go with farm living. It was hard work, but there was also plenty of time to be a kid. When I was about six years old, one of my favorite places in the barn was what was known as the cooler room. It was where the milk was stored in giant refrigeration tanks until it was taken to the processing plant. The pipes leading into the tanks were always frozen over with a thick coating of ice. The pipes were all white and crystallized, and the ice glistened and sparkled in the light, and it looked delicious to a six-year-old boy. By now, you probably guessed what happened. No one was in the cooler room as I walked in one day. Those glistening, sparkling, delicious-looking frozen pipes appeared to me like the greatest thing since, well, like the greatest thing ever. Remember, I was six. It was like those frozen pipes were calling to me, beckoning me to come give them a try. So I leaned over and touched my tongue to the ice-encased pipe with every expectation that this was going to be great. But it didn't quite turn out the way I expected. Just like that kid in the movie A Christmas Story, my tongue instantly froze to the pipe. I didn't know what to do except scream as loud as I could. It's hard to yell help when you've got a pipe stuck to your tongue. Trust me on this. After what seemed like an eternity, time moves much more slowly in a situation like that, the foreman of the dairy came running into the room. All he could see was his boss's youngest son on his knees, back turned towards him, arms flailing wildly in the air with unintelligible words coming out of his mouth. I don't know if he thought I was hurt or was having a Pentecostal moment, but he ran over to me, Grab me by the shoulders, in parentheses I have, you may want to turn away at this point. <laughs> Grab me by the shoulders and yanked. I came loose, but the top layer of skin of my tongue didn't. To this day, I have a fear of popsicles. <laughs> now, in, in my book, in that chapter, I open with that story uh, to, to help people understand that our experiences... Uh, sometimes do not match up to our expectations. And, and in the context of this book, uh, coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have these expectations of what it will be like to be a Christian, what it will be like to be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes those expectations uh, don't line up with what we end up experiencing in our life. That's why I tell it in the book. I tell it here today to say to you that I have never touched an ice-encased pipe again. Since that day as a six-year-old boy, I learned from mistakes 
of the past. I learned from history. Today, as we come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we will find that the Apostle Paul is going to take us on a bit of a history lesson, a tour of the nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. And he is going to uh, take us back in time. He's going to take us back into history to teach us so that the mistakes that the nation of Israel made are not the mistakes that you and I, they do not have to be the mistakes that you and I make. We can learn from the past to prevent a repeat in the future. That's the point that he's making today. So if you have your Bible with you, if you've not yet, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Of course, the text will be up on the screen as well. Uh, You have an outline on the back of your uh, note paper today. It's a pretty brief outline. In fact, we're only covering one main division statement, but but it's walking through a lot of history. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. A little different, but we're going we're to walk through history because if the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, thought it would be good enough to take us back into time and walk us through these mistakes that the nation of Israel made, then I think it's quite appropriate for us to do the same thing in here today. Are you all right with that? First Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start with this one idea, this one division statement uh, this week. And uh, when I return week after next, we'll finish up the last half of First Corinthians 10. But here it is, freedom in Christ doesn't mean freedom from sin's temptation. Now that may seem rather obvious if you've been a believer and been alive more than 15 minutes, but just just hang with me on this. Freedom in Christ doesn't necessarily mean freedom from sin's temptation. I want to read it to you as Paul jumps into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud... And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness." Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents." nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Father, today as we dive into this text, that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write, I pray that, that we would realize 
If we are spiritually discerned, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, then we can receive what Paul says here. So, some of it's hard. I'll be honest with you, Lord. Some of this, I, I wish I could skip over some of this. I, I'd probably be a lot more popular as a preacher. Church could probably gather more people in. It, it'd be easier to skip over some of this stuff, but how can I, how can I not love these people and give them the truth of your word? So today, uh, help us to receive the instruction as we, as we just step back just for a little while, back into to time, ancient time, even from the time Paul wrote it. Step back into the nation of Israel and learn from them, Lord God, so that we do not make the same mistakes. We do not claim to be perfect. We certainly know that we are not, and that is why we need a Savior. But Lord God, we, we, we can... We can grow in our relationship with Christ and we can be sensitive to the Spirit of God and we can turn away from temptation when it comes. We have freedom in Christ, but that doesn't mean we will not be tempted by the sin that so easily besets us. It's all around us. So speak to each person in this room, each person who may listen or watch this message sometime in the future, Father God. May it have its application for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Freedom in Christ. That is a subject that the Apostle Paul has brought up several times throughout his uh, letter. As I probably have already said, and I may say again, that, that was a big deal to the Corinthians, this, this idea of this freedom in Christ. It, it's a subject that Paul has brought up before, and as he has brought it up through the various chapters we've worked our way through, also sprinkled in there have been some, some, some ideas, some thoughts, some instruction on, uh, on morality, on our conduct, on what it means to call ourselves a follower of Jesus and how that should impact our lives. That, that's been kind of sprinkled in, in different places as we've made our th- way through the chapters. But today, in chapter 10, our morality, our conduct, the way we act a- as claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that comes front and center in what he has to say uh, here. It takes center stage in our lives. And, and as I begin, let me, let me say this, that, that this is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. Obviously, the Bible contains plenty of do's and don'ts. But can I just say this as followers of Jesus Christ? We need to stop apologizing for the Bible having do's and don'ts in it as if that were some kind of strange thing. Y- your doctor, I can assure you, has do's and don'ts for you. Your employer, your boss has do's and don'ts for you. The police have do's and don'ts for us, don't they? If you're underage, your parents have do's and don'ts uh, for you. So it's, it's not like do's and don'ts are some kind of strange thing. But what we also need to realize is that, that this is more than just, as I said, it's more than just do's and don'ts. This is a reflection uh, this, this is a, uh, a projection of the grace and love and compassion and mercy that God has for people. That he, would, that he would call us out and instruct us on what is profitable for us and what is not profitable for us. What is sinful and what is not sinful. Because here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, and most of us may understand this, some may not. But the truth is, sin always has its consequence. Always, always, always. Sin always has its consequence. It always is destructive to our lives. And so it is out of love and concern and compassion that God 
list these things. What we experience in the world today, what, uh, th- this idea of the world being under the sin curse is all a direct result of man's rejection of God, man's rebellion against God, and the entrance of sin into the world, therefore corrupting the world. As Paul puts it uh, in Romans chapter uh, 8, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. He's talking about the sin curse that the very earth itself is under. Hurricanes and, and tornadoes and, and drought and floods and all of it is a result of sin. All of it is a result of, 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 of consequences that come as a result of, of not following God's instructions for our lives. Every day, all over the world, you and I see the... The, the clear uh, signals, the clear signs of the consequences of sin on the world. Death, disease, all of it is a result of sin. And so, as I said a second ago, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is taking us back to the nation of Israel so that we can see the mistakes they made. So, in essence, the actions that the nation of Israel Took. I know I'm kind of setting this up, but stay with me. The actions that the nation of Israel took become our warning signs, our danger ahead signs. There's danger ahead if you continue down the same road that, the, that these guys went down. And so I'm going to write this to you, Corinthians, and church today and throughout the ages. I'm writing this to you so that you'll recognize the danger signs. And danger signs are designed to cause us to stop and turn around and go in another direction so that's exactly what we're going to do we're going back in time and walking through these let's just walk through it this morning let's let's start read it again in verse one through four for i do not want you to be unaware brethren that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Let's just kind of walk through this. The, the, the cloud that Paul is referring to is the pillar of cloud found in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. We, we know that it was a pillar of fire by night. During the daytime, it was a pillar of cloud. And, and in Exodus 13 and 14, it, it, we, we find out how, how God went before them, how God directed them, how God oversaw them, how God protected them. And that, that's, that's, where the, that's where the nation of Israel was. The text says that, that all of them passed through the sea. That's from Exodus chapter 14. Obviously a reference to the miraculous event where God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites traveled through on, on dry ground. Y'all remember that from Sunday school or whatever? The Israelites passed through on, on dry ground and, and the Egyptians were all drowned when they tried to come through as well. Uh, Paul mentions that they are baptized into Moses. Not literal. He's not talking about literal water baptism, although you could apply the the walking through the Red Sea, you could say that was, in a sense, baptism. But, but not literal water baptism, but the same thing that baptism is for us. Baptism for us is an identification. It doesn't save us, right? Baptism is an identification with Christ and what he did for us. These people were baptized into Moses, meaning that they were following his teaching, that they, that they were receiving his instructions from God through Moses, and they were following Moses' leadership they, as, he, as God had led them out of Egypt and, and made Moses their leader and all that kind of stuff. They were, 
baptized into to Moses. They were believing his instructions. They were following his instructions. All that sort of thing. They, they ate the same, text says, they ate the same spiritual food. That's from Exodus chapter 16. And where God sent down this stuff called manna, honey-tasting uh, bread or wafers that, that God supernaturally provided fresh out of the bakery in heaven, straight down for the people uh, of Israel to eat out in the wilderness where there was very little to eat and God made provision for them. This, this, is, this is these people. And then he talks about drinking from the, the spiritual, this spiritual rock. They drank from the same, had the same drink from that spiritual rock. Exodus chapter 17, the story of Moses uh, striking the rock and water gushing out of the rock so that it provided water out in the desert for all of these people. And then, and then, Paul adds this. And the rock was Christ. Now, these were actual real historical events that, that, that occurred in the nation of Israel. They were actual events, but Paul says there's a spiritual application here, and the spiritual application is that, hey, here's what he's saying. Hey, those people are the people of God, just like we today are the people of God. They, they, they're all from the same, the same God, the, all the stuff that he's describing to them, it's all the same. They're followers of Jesus. Nevertheless, they're, they're followers of Jesus. They're, they're, once you identify, once you understand, it's not like they were some, no, they, they were followers of God. They were, all this kind of stuff. That's what makes the next statement so shocking. When he says then in uh, verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Low in, in the original language, uh, 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 Corinthians are written in, in Greek, is katastronumi. We get our English word catastrophe from that word. Uh, Astrumi, uh, to, to, uh, to, to be spread. Kata, uh, around or uh, about. So it is, in essence, to be spread over or to be strewn about. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. And, and, and you know what? We can sit here and say, wow, that, that, that sounds harsh. I mean, they, you, you said they were the people of God, and they're, they're trying to get this right, and, and, but then, and, and God dealt with them in that way. That, that just sounds harsh. I know that, can I, and it does, right? It sounds harsh. Can I tell you part of the reason why it sounds so harsh to us? Because in our culture today, we have completely lost the concept of the holiness of God. It, it, it is lost to the, to the culture in which we live. The holiness of God. How serious God takes sin. And, and the fact is, God does not accept, does not like sin wherever it comes from. A, a non-believer or a believer, God's not pleased with any of it. And believers are not immune from the temptation of sin to come into our lives or, as we're seeing here, the consequence that can come as a result of yielding to the temptation. So Paul's saying, listen, they, they're... They, they're just, they're just like you. They, they're the people of God just like you. And if you're not careful, you're going to be just like them. What he, what he essentially says to us. If you're not careful, you'll end up just like them. And God will not be well pleased with us either. And then he says this in, uh, in verse 6. That these things, what we just described, are, and we're about to describe, are examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. They, they went in the wrong direction. They, 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 they did things that God said don't do. And that in a sense, when we hear the word evil, we think like super 
super serious, super bad things. But it's just, it's just rebellion against God. It's just doing the opposite of what God says. And because they, they crave those things, that, and that's the human flesh, right? They desire those things. They went in that direction. So Paul says these things are examples. I'm about to, about to give you some, some of the specifics. They're examples to you, church. Don't, don't do this. These are your danger ahead. Warning signs. Don't go down that road. Okay. And Paul begins to list, I think, four specific instances where uh, Israel ignored the warning signs from God themselves and went down the wrong road. Let's start uh, looking, breaking it down looking at it. In verse 7, he mentions idolatry. Exodus chapter 32 is the story where Moses was up on uh, the mountain, up on Mount Sinai for a long time, so long that the people decided that he wasn't coming back. Well, I would guess that Moses dude is done, done for. He's not coming back. Hey, Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Hey, Aaron, I want you to make us a calf, a golden calf. We're going to give you all our jewelry. I want you to melt it all down. I want you to form uh, this golden calf. And, and we've got to worship something. By the way, that is a characteristic of man. He's going to find something to worship. And if you say, well, an atheist doesn't worship anything. Oh, yes, he does. But they said, make this golden calf, and we're going we're to worship this golden calf. And after Aaron made the golden calf, and then as it says here in 1 Corinthians 10, and then and also in Exodus 32, it says, and the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. It, it doesn't mean a pickup game of basketball. It doesn't mean they decided to play a friendly game of softball. It means that they began to engage in practices that were contrary to what God wanted. They, they engaged in practices that were in keeping with the worship of this golden calf. Probably an idea they got out of Egypt because Egypt worshipped the cow and it was one of their gods and all that kind of stuff. But probably something that they got from there. But they, they, they began to worship this golden calf. By the way, by the way, you know what Moses did? And Moses, when God said, you better get down there. <laughs> you go back and read the text. You better get down there. Them people's messing up. I'm paraphrasing, but you better get down there. Moses, when Moses gets at somewhere close enough down off the mountain that he sees what's going on down there, Moses is so mad that he throws the, the literal stone tablets that God had just given him with the Ten Commandments on them, throws them down, shattering them into pieces, gets down there, melts the golden calf, melts it down, pounds the, what, what, when he's finished with it, pounds it into powder, pours it into water, and makes the people drink it. Exodus 32, uh, 24, I think. Makes the people drink it, their golden calf. Listen, I, I'm telling you, there's something, there is something about, or there's something to this idea of righteous anger. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't plan on worshiping any golden calves anytime soon, so I, I don't think I got to worry about that one. That's good to know. That really is. But, but can, I ask you, can I ask you this question? Is there anything or anyone in your life that is more important to you than your personal relationship and walk with God? And don't, don't just immediately answer that with, the, with what you know is supposed to be the right answer. I want you to think about that question because it's important. Is there anything in your life or my life that is more important, any person, any interest, any hobby that is more important to you than your relationship and your walk with God? Because if there is, 
that, that person, that thing, that interest, that hobby, that job, that whatever, if there is, that, that thing has taken the place that is reserved exclusively for God. So I know it's easy, oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do idol worship. Listen, he's taking us back in time. He's saying, learn this lesson. Don't let anything have a greater priority in your life than the living God. And he goes on to another one. And I wish I could, I wish I could just skip over this, but I can't. <clears throat> he says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. By the way, if you, if you go back, uh, the, the story's found in Numbers 25. If you go back and read the story, you'll notice in number 25, it says 24,000 fell in one day. It's not a mistake. The Bible does that in several places. It's just rounding off numbers. The, the Old Testament writer is simply rounding down. The number is probably like 23,640, something like that. So over 20,000 fell in, in one day. Numbers uh, chapter 25 is where it, it takes place. The story is, has to do with the, the, the men of Israel being enticed by the women of Moab to engage in, in sexually immoral behavior. What all it was, I don't know, but I can tell you this. The, the sheer fact that it was sexual conduct or sexual interaction with someone that was not their wife made it immoral. That in itself made it immoral. So he says, do not uh, engage as some of them did, and more than 20,000 fell in one day. It's the reality of, of who we are, right? We are sexual beings. We are. God created us to be sexual beings. And it is, I just say this, even just speaking for myself, it is so easy to be enticed by my culture in a direction towards, towards sexual immorality. So easy. Our, our, and I'll be honest with you, our culture embraces sexual immorality, like the Moabites did. Our culture invites everybody into sexual immorality, like the Moabites did. And there's a consequence for that. Now, you know, as, as I was reading this, I was writing my message, I had this thought, and maybe you've had this thought, well, well why did God, you know, boom, right then? I don't see God doing that today. I don't see God just, boom, immediately acting on, on some sinful action. Why doesn't God do that today like he did, today, like he did back then? It seems like there might be a lot less people engaging in some of this stuff if, if he did. Listen, let me say this. First, there's nothing to say that God can't or won't. He's God. That's, that's his, his business. But I do need to point this out. There, there, was, there, was a, there was a special uniqueness about the nation of Israel and God's plan for the nation of Israel. God was trying to bring through a nation that was surrounded by ungodliness. He's trying to create this godly nation because it is through them that he uh, intends to bring his word. It's going to be recorded by, by Jews to be a, a light to the Gentiles. And ultimately, he's going to bring his son through the line, through the nation of Israel. And so he's trying to keep them pure because God knows that if he, if he doesn't deal with this, you know what's going to happen to the nation of Israel? They're going to be just like every nation around them within, within a short period of time. They're just going to blend right in to the culture and world in which they live. That was the culture and world in which they live. I mean, they, they, this monotheistic, holy God that says, don't do this, don't do this, and all the culture around them saying, yeah, don't, no, don't get, be restricted by God's rules, don't be restricted by God's regulations, come over here, join us, do this, try that, all of this. And so God, God dealt swiftly with it because he had to. And by the way, it is only his patience and long-suffering that keeps him from doing it in this day and age, I believe. Here's another one. Here's, I think, this is the third one. 
nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. It's a fascinating story. Numbers uh, chapter 21 is where it takes place. Let me read it. Uh, uh, And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. We loathe this miserable food. (laughs) Anyway, let me read it again. And the people spoke against God and Moses. You know, if you're ever standing beside somebody, if you're ever standing beside somebody that says something about God or whatever, I mean, I just, I just kind of, it's kind of, because I'm, I'm just saying, he's God. He can do what he wants. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Well, well now, wait a minute. I, I thought you just said there was no food. Here it is. It's not that there wasn't any food. There wasn't any food that they wanted. It wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't how they thought it would be. Get this. Get this. Every night, God supernaturally delivers bread straight down from heaven. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to toil. They don't have to sweat. They don't have to plow. They don't have to go out and hunt. They don't have to do anything. They literally walk out their tent door and start picking up uh, honey sweetened, honey tasting wafers or bread. That's a sweet deal, pun intended. That's a sweet deal. They literally just pick it up and eat as much as they want. But listen to me. If you've lived long enough, you know this is true. This is a tendency of human nature. Here it is. We have a tendency to not be satisfied with what we have. No matter how much it is or what it is or how glorious it is, if you get the 2019 version, 2020 is coming. You know what I'm saying? That, that, it's just, it is our, it's something in our nature that we tend to not be satisfied with what we have and therefore end up not appreciating what we have. And so, here's what God does. Remember, he's been, he's been providing for them and protecting them. And so, since y'all not real happy with the job me or Moses, my man Moses are doing, I'll tell you what, I'll just take my hands off it. And God removes his hand of protection and poisonous snakes, serpents, come in and begin to bite the people and they begin to die. Watch as the story unfolds. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. You think? You think? We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. There's an amazing statement right there. And Moses interceded for the people. This is proof positive that Moses was way more godly than me. Because I'm pretty sure my reaction would have been, Oh! Oh, so, so now I'm not such a bad guy! Oh, so now you can use my help! Moses loved the people. And Moses intercedes. And watch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. What? That's what's killing us! Make, a fiery, make an image of one. He made it out of bronze. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, a pole, a rod. Set it up in the air. And remember, there, there's, there, there's estimated somewhere between one and two million Israelites out there, right? So it's got, it must have been a pretty high standard. Set it on a standard and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. That's all I got to do. I got to look at it. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard and it came about that if a serpent bit any man when he looked to the bronze serpent, what happened? He lived. He lived. Now, you know, I'm like, wow. Wow, really, God? That's kind of a strange way to save your people, isn't it? To, to, to do something like that? Well, 
what you and I should know is that God never does anything by accident. God never does anything just to be doing. There's intention in the things that God does. Jesus himself makes specific application of this event in Numbers 21. Jesus makes specific application about his life, his sacrifice, and his purpose in coming to earth. John chapter 3, look at this. This is Jesus speaking. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I bet many of you never knew that what is possibly the most famous verse in all of the Bible has its context all the way back here in Numbers chapter 21. The story of this, this despised serpent put on a pole. By the way, this is also proof positive that, there, that, that salvation is by grace and grace alone. There is nothing the Israelites could have done at that moment. All they can do is look up. That's an, by the way, it's, it's actually faith in God because God's the one that said, put, put it up there, look up at it. And so that's what they did. And when they did in that moment, no effort, no work, nothing they can do on their own. And they were saved from the, act, the consequences of their sin. And in the same way, 2,000 years ago for us and still applying today, we look up in faith and we are healed from our own sins. They looked at this despised serpent, but a despised serpent. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said. 700 years before Jesus was born, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. There is an amazing spiritual truth in this lesson. All right, let me, let me give you one more. We won't finish all this today, but let me give you one more, and then we'll, we'll close. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Uh, sadly, this could probably apply to multiple situations with the nation of Israel, but it more than likely applies to Numbers chapter 14, the story in Numbers chapter 14 where God had led the people in very short order. A lot of people don't realize this. It didn't take long when they came out of slavery. It didn't take long to get over to the promised land. It was a few weeks or I don't remember, it was just a few weeks. And, and they're there and they're at the promised land. And God spent a little time with them out there getting them ready. And now he's ready to take them in. And, and, and he says, all right, here's his land. It's flowing with milk and honey. I've, I've prepared it for you. I've given it to you. I promised it to you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, now it's yours for the taking. And the people said, well, let's not rush into it. Maybe we better send some spies in. God said, okay, send in some spies. So they sent in 12 spies. Y'all know the story. And, and, and here's what happens. We get to this point where the people listen to the, the negative report of the 10 spies. The 10 spies that brought back a negative. Oh, my God. It, it's, oh, it's, it's terrible. There, there's giants in land. We're like grasshoppers in their sights. Their cities are fortified. We don't stand a chance. And they ignored the faith report brought back by the, by the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who said, hey guys, I got great news. That land, it's exactly the way God described it to us. And, and, if, and if we'll follow God, if we'll believe in, if we'll move on forward as God's asking us to move forward, we can take that land. It'll be our own. God, uh, guys, God promised it to us we can have it if we'll just do it. And they grumbled. Oh, oh, we can never take this land. We can never, we can never do this. What, this is ridiculous. Did you bring us all the way out here just, just to experience this? Is, is this what this is all about? And they actually were going to stone Moses and Aaron. You know, what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying to you? Sin has its consequences, and God, and God turns them around. They're right there. They're right there. Listen, here, here's the truth. They can see it. They can see the promised land, but they couldn't believe God for it. 
And, and I just wonder how many times in our lives that that's the truth, where, where we can see maybe that God has something right in front of us, but we, we just can't quite believe him for it. And God turns them around, and he marches them right back out into the wilderness because they didn't want to go into the promised land. And they spend 40 years wandering around out there until, until the adults had all, that, that rejected and turned away Listen to the negative report until all the adults had died and their graves are strewn about all over the desert. And then in verse 11, he repeats what he said earlier in verse 6. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're, we're, in, the, we're in the last days. We have been for 2,000 years, ever since Christ went back to heaven. There's nothing else needs to be done on the timeline of God for his return and establishment of his kingdom. We're in the last days, and they were written for our instruction upon the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, here it is, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Remember how he started this thing? Hey, they're just like us. If you're not careful, you can be just like them. Learn the mistakes of the past. All of us know what it is to be tempted to sin. As we learn today, being part of the family of God doesn't mean that we are free from temptation. As Pastor Clay put it, temptation will come, judgment will come, escape will come. You'd better run. The enemy wants us to stumble. Satan wants us to give in to temptation. But God will always provide a way of escape so that we don't have to sin. This side of heaven, we may never be perfect, but we will have a God who will help us to escape the temptations that try to trip us up. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. I want to lead you to the cross I want to lead you to the cross
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.